tonight, Ruth chapter 2 tonight, Ruth chapter 2, we're going to be looking at some comparisons tonight of uh, Boaz and Jesus, and boy, I tell you, when I was studying uh, this chapter, I was just blown away because, again, what were the, what did the Jews think before Christ when they read this story? Because it does, it just kind of seems like a random story in many ways so you know what was their thoughts behind it uh you know how did they what did they use to prove that it was uh the word of god i don't know what all they looked at but i will say you know when we knowing what we know from the new testament and then looking at the story it leaves no doubt at all that this is a part of the word of god there's just absolutely no doubt about it it's just incredible some of the things that we're going to see that are clearly just pictures of Jesus Christ and salvation. And uh, no man could have planned this. No man could have wrote this, you know, over a thousand years before Christ comes and then just, you know, uh, come up with this perfect picture of what Jesus did. You just, you can't do it. But God can and God did. And we can look back on this and I just find it amazing. And so... Uh, we're going to go through this and we're going to kind of talk about some of the symbolism and I guess an allegory as we go. And it, there's just really no doubt at all uh, that this is clearly a picture of something here that we can see. But let's look at this story. And before we uh, read the first verse, though, just a reminder, last week what we talked about with this allegory, that again, that the Zionists don't want to let play out. They'll talk about it with chapter one and show Ruth, the church who is embracing Naomi, Israel, because and wanting to be her people, to be Naomi's people to be her people. Naomi's got to be her God. And that's what we as a church did. We embraced the God of Israel and the people of God, and we became a part of those people, just as Ruth became a part of Israel. Did she not? So without a doubt, there. I mean... Yes, Ruth is a picture of the Gentile church. Naomi is a picture of Israel. We're going to see that. And Boaz, without a doubt, we're going to see, is a picture of Christ. And so let's start going through the story and look at a few things. And it says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And so one of the things I mentioned last week that's interesting about the book of Ruth that we can look at too is we can learn a lot about some of the manners and customs that they had during, uh, during the time of Israel. We can read what those laws were, you know, in, uh, you know, Exodus through Deuteronomy, but we don't always see examples of those laws playing out, but we do see some of those take place here in Ruth. And I find it fascinating because these customs are much different than ours today. But it really kind of helps give us, uh, put a picture in our mind of what it was like back then. So we want to pay attention to these details. But uh, last week, I explained why Naomi didn't think her daughter-in-law should come with her. Because they didn't really have any legal claim to anything to a certain extent. Because uh, you know, they, they did, in a sense, because Ruth and Orpah, you know, they had married men from Israel, but they died with no children. And so, uh, you know, there, there just wasn't going to be much for them. But Ruth went with her anyway. And it says, And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, 
Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. So again, remember, Ruth was a Moabitess, but she did marry a Jew. So there was certain claim where Naomi had a little more claim because Naomi actually was Jewish and had had children even though they died. And so right here, when Ruth is going to glean in these fields, this is kind of another interesting thing. This shows us some of the laws that God had given Israel that had been put in place and were being practiced. This is a good thing. In Leviticus 19, in verse 9, it says, And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest, or what falls to the ground. They weren't supposed to go back and pick those things up. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So part of the welfare system that they had back then is, you know what, don't take everything from your field. You leave some for the poor. But I like, too, how the poor at least had to get their carcasses out of bed and go out to the fields and still do some work. You know, and thank, so that's better than the welfare system that we have today. Not here to preach about the welfare system, but they did have a welfare system in the Bible, but people still had to work. But the poor, they didn't always have fields. They didn't always have land, but there was a way they could take care of them, but they still had to do some work. Deuteronomy 24, 20 says, when thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And thou shalt remember that thou wast bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. God wanted them to remember. Hey, you remember when you were strangers? Remember when you were wandering in the wilderness? If you have a stranger among you and they're traveling through, they don't get to just camp in your field and then live there and live off that food. Okay? You know, but if they're passing through, they are allowed to take some and you let them eat, leave them alone. Leave some for them. That's what God commanded them to do. And it's so, and you know what? It's not even that they deserve it. It's just good to be good to other people. It's good to be generous. We should be liberal in our giving. And so in verse three, and she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And he said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued from even from morning until now, and she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by the maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. So Boaz clearly has been smitten by Ruth and wants her to continue hanging around the field. He's like, you know what? I don't want you to go to any other fields. I want you to hang around here. If you need any water, drink my men's water. They're going to leave you alone. They're not going to bother you. And you know what? Interestingly enough, 
Jesus was somebody who took notice and was very good to outsiders. People that everyone else wouldn't want to pay attention to. Jesus typically paid attention to those kind of people. We see in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. Take note of that. The centurion, who is a Gentile, tells Jesus, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Barely I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus saith unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in that selfsame hour. So notice this man understood his place. Notice the faith that he had in Jesus. Notice how Jesus was good to him. How Jesus gave this man what he wanted. We see uh, in Luke chapter 7, in another account of the same story, it says, Now when he had entered, or had ended, ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him, saying, that he was worthy for whom he should do this, for he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. Notice this guy, kind of like Ruth, loved the nation of Israel. He built them a synagogue. He was good. He was good to Israel. Then Jesus went with him. And when he was now far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and another, Come, and he cometh. And my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. So, Notice how this man, I, it's, it's clear he had such an understanding of Israel and their God that he understood his place as a Gentile. When he hears about Jesus, he, he has greater faith than those in Israel and he understands what Jesus is capable of doing. And he understands, I am not worthy that he should enter into my roof. This guy, it's, it's amazing how far ahead he was of the Jews. And that's why Jesus said, they're going to come from all these other directions and sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. But the children of the kingdom will be thrust out. Which is exactly what happened. Matthew seven twenty four, And he rose up from thence, went to the boards of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into a house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, 
came and fell at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus saith unto her, Let the children first be filled. For it is not meek to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Notice, and he said, man, Jesus was pretty mean to her. I think he's making a point here. And, and with that, because listen, folks, we are dogs in comparison to God. We're filthy. We're unclean. Without a doubt, we're all those things. But this woman, under, you, know, what, you know what she did? She threw herself at the mercy of the one who can do anything. And that is exactly what she did. That is what we do when we come to God for salvation. We understand we're filthy. But we understand what He can do for us. And we go to Him for mercy and we get mercy. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve any of the good that He gives it to us. But we know He can. We know He will. And so we go to Him for these things. And so at verse 29, after she makes this statement, Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And He said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. So notice another woman who understands who she is. But notice, Jesus was good to her, wasn't He? Jesus did a great work for her. In Luke 17, verse 14, this is the story of the ten lepers that He cleansed. And when He saw them, He said to them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass, they went, uh, they were cleansed. And one of them, when He saw that He was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on His face at His feet, giving Him thanks. And He was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, where are the, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And He said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So notice the response Jesus keeps getting from the, 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 from the Samaritans and from the Gentiles, from the Greek, from the Roman. And, you know, unlike the response that he's getting from the Jews, typically. Notice the difference. We keep seeing the Gentiles, they are responding to the goodness and the mercy of Christ. Now, after Boaz does all this good for Ruth, let's watch her response, because it kind of reminds me of Gentiles who believed on Christ. It says, Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Now, folks, is this not a pretty clear picture of what we just saw in the New Testament? We see this woman who represents Gentiles, these unclean, these cursed people, a people who are dead in their trespasses and sin. When good is done to them, they respond in thankfulness. They respond in shame. I mean, why, why are you doing this goodness for me? That is how we should respond to Jesus Christ. And, and this is why it's so bad. This is why work salvation is so bad. Not just because it doesn't work, but because it's very arrogant to think that you can earn salvation in some way. You, that's why salvation has to be without works because you have to understand you are sinful and unworthy and that is, and it's believing on Christ because you recognize it's only Him that can save you and it is based on what He did for you. It's based completely on His goodness. That's it. And so the response that we see from Ruth here 
it's just like the response that Jesus would marvel at with the Gentiles. While the Jews, he's always getting frustrated with them. Because they don't have the same attitude, unless it's like a woman who was a very sinful woman who washed his feet with her hair and tears and kissed his feet. That woman who was a great sinner, she appreciated Jesus. It's always, it's always the bad ones. But you have these self-righteous types. They're not thankful when good's done to them. And Boaz did. Boaz did a good thing. You think it was, And notice how he told his men, you don't touch her. You know why? Because he knew, he knew those Jewish boys that they see a pretty Moabitish girl. They're not going to respect her. They're not going to treat her good. But he saw her and didn't want to take advantage of her. But he was, he was interested in her. But he, he honored her. He was good to her. He loved her. And she responded to that goodness in a good way. And I'm telling you, you're going to have a tough time convincing me what we see with Ruth there is not a picture of the Gentiles' response to the gospel. And so verse 11, and you know, and it just reminds me too, again, I get it, I get it we're all Gentiles and everything, but in America, we have become very religious and we are very much like the Jews in the sense that we are very self-righteous and many Christians, Christians believe they're going to heaven based on their goodness. And isn't it interesting some of, and we experience this sometimes when we go to some of these places where there's a lot of African people, for example. Isn't it interesting how much they appreciate you giving them the gospel? How much they will appreciate giving them Bibles? I'll never forget the time I led four young men. Uh, three of them got saved. One of them didn't. But boy, when I gave them Bibles, you'd have thought I gave them all a $100 bill. Even the one that didn't get saved just kept thanking me for giving, for giving him a Bible. And you know what it made me want to do? It made me want to leave this pathetic country and go to Africa where people appreciate somebody going out soul winning. That's what it made me want to do. I was like, I'm just thinking, man, why do I even mess with Americans? Why do these Americans stink? They're so receptive in some of these other countries. And it's just like, forget this place. You know, let it all go to hell because they, this country is just, it's horrible the way they're responding to the gospel. And it's not. You know, it's not reprobate yet, but we're pushing it. Okay, we're pushing. There's a lot of places that are that are somewhat receptive, but it's just it's a lot better in other places. It really is a lot better in other places, and we better watch it in this country because uh, we're we're heading down the toilet for sure. But anyway, verse eleven says, and Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and are come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. And so Boaz, he had taken note of Ruth's desire to be one with Naomi and the people of God. He, he noticed that. He, and, he, and, this, and this is exactly what happened in the first century with, with the Gentiles when they listened to the preaching of the Jewish apostles. All the preaching in the beginning of Acts, it all started by Jews. It was all Jews who accepted the new covenant, who believed on Christ, who was obedient to Moses, and they followed Jesus Christ. And then in the book of Acts, we see many Gentiles, like Ruth, embracing their God, embracing the God of Israel, embracing their people, and becoming one with the people of God. 
Did the apostles quit being the people of God when they started the church on Pentecost? No, they continued being the people of God. Everyone who got saved continued being the people of God. Those who rejected Christ, they were broken off of that olive tree and they no longer were the people of God. Understand that. So when Christians got saved and joined up with the believing Jews, they became... It's not even that the, the Gentiles replaced the Jews. No, they became one with the true Israel with the believing Jews, with the people of God, the Jews who rejected Christ, they were broken off. They ceased being the people of God. And then when they continued in, in, in their rebellion against God and continued practicing the things of the temple, you know what? It became the synagogue of Satan. That's what, that's what ended up happening. It be, they started a new religion, the synagogue of Satan. But understand that early church and those early, those early Gentiles became one with the people of God. They became a part of Israel, just like Ruth became a part of Israel. And folks, this picture is going to get even deeper of this connection with Ruth and Israel. And it's, it's, it, it makes so much sense. It's not even funny. And it's going to mess up your Zionist dispensational theology. I'm telling you right now. And, but uh, we're going to see this when we get to chapter 4. But, so in Ephesians 2, we're not even going to go to Ephesians 2. We see in Ephesians 2 how God broke down, or Jesus broke down that middle wall of partition that separated Jew from Gentile, and He made them both one. And we who at one time were called uncircumcision by them that are called circumcision, we became one with the people of God. We, became, uh, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, but now we are a part of that inheritance. We are a part of the people of God. And, th and, we, and that's why we are the true Israel of God. That is, why we, that is why we claim that. So again, so we didn't really replace. The new covenant replaced the old covenant. That's a fact. But when Gentiles got saved, they became one with the people of God. They became one with the true Israel that actually remained obedient and believed on Christ. So verse 12 says, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. And that, this response sounds very much like Jesus speaking to Gentile believers. That's what it just kind of reminds me of. He's speaking these good work, these good words to her. Talks about a reward being given. And isn't that what happens to those of us who've been saved and we serve the Lord? He's going to reward us for those things one of those days. He speaks kind words to us. He takes care of us. And so Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Does it look like Ruth's becoming a slave for this guy? Or is it he just being good to her? He's being kind. You know, and, you know spoiler alert, he's fixing to marry her. That, that's what's going to happen. So the Spirit itself bears Always remember this. Jesus Christ is the one who inherited all things, according to the Scriptures. All the promises to Israel, to Abraham, to David, they are all fulfilled in Christ. He is the heir. And we are joint heirs with Christ. 
And so again, the land fight that's going on right now, the reality is it belongs to us or Jesus Christ. You say, well, why don't you go take it? I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. And then I'm going to go get it with him. Okay? I'm a joint heir with them. I don't have the right to get it before he does. So in the meantime, they can fight over it. They, they, can, fight, they can fight over it. They can mess with my inheritance all they want. I don't care. Because let me tell you, that land is nothing without Jesus. But when Jesus is there, then I, I went in. I, I went in on it. And I was, I was planning on going back to Israel in December. Now I'm not. <laughs> now I'm not. But when, let me tell you, when Jesus is back there, you're not going to be able to stop me from going and claiming my inheritance with him. And in reality, too, when Jesus gets there, I'm not even really interested in seeing what I got over there. I'm interested in seeing him. That's, that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Boaz, he, he's noticing these things. He notices Ruth's desire to be one with Naomi and the people of God. And so, um, verse 13 says, Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. She recognized her differences, her unworthy condition, but yet Boaz treated her like the others. And isn't that interesting too? Because again, Jew and Gentile, especially in that first century, they were very different. The Jews, they had a way of life that was a lot more moral. They still weren't saved, but it was much better than the way of the Gentiles. They had a much better way of life. And we see in Galatians 2.15, that's why Paul said, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. He's not saying that Jews are without sin, but he's, he's referring to the way of life. And the Jewish way of life, it was more natural for them. Just like there are certain things that are very natural to me because of how I was raised. It is, it was, it's an un, unnatural thing for me to not go to church. It's all I've ever known. I don't know how to do anything else. On Sunday, I remember the first time I went to church on a Sunday afternoon. They had an afternoon service instead of evening, and I was sitting with my sister and her husband. We were at a restaurant at six o'clock on a Sunday night. I felt bad. I'm not supposed to be in here on a Sunday night, but I'm like, okay, you know, I went to church today twice. <laughs> you know, it was it was just weird, just because I, I mean, it's just it's a habit. I mean, there's just certain things I just, I can't bring myself to do, not even just because I'm saved, but because I'm a fundamental Baptist. We have a culture. You understand that? You know, fundamental Baptist, we have a culture. That's why there's just certain things too. I just I can't bring myself to say, I'm not going to try to say, I, I, have a, I have a culture, I have a nature, and I'm thankful for it. I think the independent fundamental Baptist way of life is a good life. And it's, it's a good way to live. Doesn't mean I didn't need to get saved. I needed to get saved just as much as anybody else needed to get saved. And so, there was, so, so don't mistake the fact that just because we have all sinned, it does not mean all cultures are equal. Some are very inferior to others. And the Jewish culture was much better than the Gentile culture. And so, Ruth understands that. She's a Moabite. She's not like the Jewish women in many ways, but Boaz treated her just like the other ladies, like she was a part of the family. And isn't that not exactly what Jesus does with us? He 
makes us his children. We are the children of God. We receive the spirit of adoption. What a blessing that is. So verse 14, And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou thither, and eat of thy bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean, even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. Notice how Boaz wanted to be a blessing to her, just like Christ wants to be a blessing to us, and is. He's like, you know what? Guys, make it easy for her. Drop some extras for her. Load her up. Keep her happy. And you know, and, and listen, he's flirting, alright? You know, he's, he's, he's trying to take care of her, okay? Guys, nothing wrong. Again, if you're looking, if you're not, if you're not taken, by all means, Lord away, all right? You know, show, show her show her what you can do. Show her, you know, how great you'll be for her and all that kind of stuff. But that's kind of what he's doing right here. He's, he's being very good to her, okay? Why? Because he wants her, okay? He does. He, he wants her. And understand, Jesus Christ is very good to us because he wants us. That's amazing. That's amazing. And we ought to have the attitude, why? Okay? You know, don't be like some of these girls and even some of these guys too. That when they find out somebody likes them, yeah, I figured. You know, <laughs> just they're, you know, they're so arrogant that you know, think everybody likes them or something. Ruth wasn't like this. Like, why? Why is he like me? Why does he care? But he did. Boaz said unto her at mealtime, uh, "Come now th- hither." Oh, I already read that part. So, um, yeah, turn to. Or, you don't have to turn there. But Acts three twenty five says, "Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham." And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And so, understand, Jesus Christ was a blessing to the world and to the Jews first. The Jews weren't the blessing to everybody else. The Jews aren't the blessing to everyone else. Jesus was the blessing to the Jews first. And everyone else. Okay? Because Jesus is Abraham's seed. Not, not physical descendants somewhere. And he is a blessing to all the world. And Boaz is being a blessing to Ruth. So verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until even and beat out that she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and brought, she brought forth and gave to her... Uh, that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name of whom I have wrought this, or today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, the man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. Now, folks, this passage here really blows my mind. Because, again, what, what did the Jews think before Christ when they read this? What did they think about that statement that she just made? When she said, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Now, there's two possibilities of what she meant here. And, and, and maybe in a way it was both. Okay, but 
the what she could have meant, the kindness to the dead, could have been in reference to uh, her sons who are dead. Uh, because Boaz, his kindness and his goodness to Ruth was a kindness to her dead husband who would have appreciated his goodness. Again, if, if one of you, one of you men here died and, you know, and I was, I did some kindness to your children, you know, that is, that is, that's a kindness to you. You would appreciate me doing some kind of kindness to your family if I had any love and appreciation for you. And so even though you're dead, me being good to your descendants is in reality me being good to you too. So she could have been saying, hey, he's being good to my son and being good to his widow. That, that could be me, uh, what she meant. But it could have been a reference to the fact that she was a Moabite. Just like the Gentiles were considered dead spiritually by the Jews and by God. Because look what it says. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to go to a few passages. Ephesians 2, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." The way of the heathen, okay? the way the lost live, they kind of live by their instincts. They live by their flesh. They do not live according to the Spirit because their spirit is dead. And so they just do whatever their flesh feels like doing. And sometimes they still do good things because sometimes our flesh feels like, feels like doing good things, even for selfish reasons. But either, either way, there is a way that our world lives. And so they are, they're seen as dead. Now, I preached about this a while back too, but in 1 Peter chapter 4, we're not going to go through this whole chapter. I'm not going to take time to prove it. I'm about to tell you. But in 1 Peter 4, 5, it says, Who shall give an account of him that is ready to judge the quick or the living and the dead? For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to the men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. And when I preached through 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4, I showed how the spirits in prison was a reference to the Jews who were under the bondage of the law. But the, that was how God you know, talked about the Jews. They were in bondage because of the things of the law. There was, in a sense, some spiritual life because they had a recognition of God. They had a, a place with God they weren't saved necessarily unless they were of faith, but there was, you could say, in a sense, some spiritual life there. So the term that God used for Jews was bondage. When God talked about the Gentiles, though, they were always referred to as dead because they, they had nothing. They, they, they had nothing. They, they also were not saved, just like Jews were not saved. But in 1 Peter 3 and 4, the spirits in prison is a reference to the Jews who are in bondage, but the gospel was also preached to the dead, referring to the Gentiles. That is how they refer to it. It's not teaching Jesus went and preached to the souls burning in hell. Okay, that's not what that, that's what, that's what the Dispies teach, but that's not what the Bible teaches. But without a doubt, Jesus has been very good to dead and fallen man. 
He has been very good to the Gentiles. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And so now, while I've been showing this comparison of salvation, understand, you know, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves in the story, okay? You know, as, I, as I'm painting this picture for you, I, you know, we've been getting a little ahead of ourselves in this story because all these things that Boaz has been doing at this point for Ruth, he's doing these things to win the heart of Ruth. He's trying to, he's trying to win her over. And this is a reminder too of how the Holy Spirit draws us to salvation. The Holy Spirit, and I'll be talking about this a little bit on Sunday, but God is always good to us first. And He does, in fact, initiate any love that there is in our relationship. We love Him because He first loved us. 1 John 4.19 And if I may just do a little commercial for Sunday morning's message. Sunday morning's message, I'm preaching on repentance. And something I'm going to do in that message that I think will be helpful all of my points about repentance is going to sound just like Calvinism. Okay? I promise it's not. <laughs> I, I, but because what, what Calvinists often do, they say true things right before they add their baloney. And so I'm going to say some of the true things that Calvinists say about repentance, but I'm going to define those things, not with catechisms, not with church confessions, but with scriptures and show how it really works. And you'll find it's actually contrary to what they teach. And so, um, but one of the things that is a fact, God does draw us to salvation. Now, we do have the ability to say no. We do have the ability to not accept for sure. There's, there's no doubt about that. But the Calvinists are right when it says you can't get saved unless the Holy Spirit draws you. Well, I agree. That's true. I also know the Bible says he'll draw all men. So, you know, it, you know, so that anyway, don't get me I preaching Sunday morning's message, but I always, anytime I can take a shot at the Calvinists, I always have to. But if, if Jeff Dollar's listening, wait till Sunday. <laughs> he'll, he'll get a blessing for sure. But verse 21, um, and Ruth the Moabitess said, uh, he said unto me also, thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. So again, Boaz has been very good to her. Romans 2.4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? Boaz was also a very rich man. And uh, Ruth, too, emphasizes that. And forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So, you can definitely see a picture here. So, what we're seeing here for Ruth and Naomi, uh, for Ruth and Naomi is them being provided for. And without a doubt, they were probably very concerned about how things were going to go for them when they went back to Israel. Because, again, Naomi, she loved her daughter-in-laws, but she encouraged them to stay there because I think, one, she was worried about him. She, while she believed God could take care of her, she didn't know how he was going to take care of her. And here's just kind of another lesson with this. And But 
often we find ourselves in that situation. I know I've been that in this situation many times in my life where it's like, you know, God's going to provide, but you just don't know how he's going to provide. I know God's going to take care of us. I know he's going to get us through this. I just don't know how. And you know, we kind of sit there twiddling our thumbs sometimes. You know, Lord, can you please hurry up and show us how this is going to work? Sometimes I wish the Lord would just solve some of my problems to where I don't have to worry about anything for a while. But, you know, you would think the fact that, you know, I'm 42 years old and he's taking care of all my problems, I wouldn't be worried anyway. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, you know, the Lord just, you know, he, he's just kind of forcing me to continue to depend on him all the time and to pray without ceasing and all those other things he commanded us to do. You know, that's kind of how I feel. And, you know, we, we just want things to be easy. But let me tell you, you know, it is interesting whenever we look back and understand all that God was doing to get us where we are. We understand his providence. We understand that he was looking out for us the whole time. And so while Naomi, without a doubt, I believe she believed in her heart God was going to take care of her. For sure, she was nervous about how it was going to work out. But now that Ruth has met Boaz and Boaz has been very good, she now understands how God's going to provide. And this was a very exciting time for her. And it is. It's, it's always exciting. You know, and let me just let me just say this too. You know, one of the things we've been scratching our head about is how we, how are we going to pay for this roof? We need to get this roof. But you know what? Hey, I forgot to announce this. I paid the check for it today. I'm probably going to start working on it next week. Lord provided. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. It's something that I'm like, I, that was something I was hoping we could do this year, but there were just financially, there was absolutely no way we could get it done, but yet God got it done. That's, that's pretty amazing. And God, God was good. You know, and we ought, to, we ought to thank Him for it. We ought to praise Him for that kind of thing. We've all found ourselves in these situations many times where in our hearts we did not know how God would take care of us, even though we knew He would. And whenever we find out, it's always an exciting thing. And so just one final point that blows my mind is the fact, too, that in this book that was clearly considered Scripture by the Jews before the time of Christ, and we know there's no way they could understand half of what we're able to see now because we have the New Testament I just said, what did believing Jews think about this book before the time of Christ? Because I'm reading this too, and as a pastor, you know, you read things wanting something that'll preach. And I can't not preach Jesus from the book of Ruth. I, I can't ignore that. I mean, it's just Jesus is all over the book of Ruth. Salvation is all over the, the book of Ruth. What, what did they preach about from this in the Old Testament? That's what I want to know. I don't know what that is, but it's just an amazing thing that to me just proves this is the word of God. I have zero doubt in my mind, Ruth belongs in our Bible. When, When you look at these comparisons and it just shows that God has always had a plan and you know what? You're going to have a tough time convincing me the Gentiles were plan B when I see God's plan for the Gentiles in the book of Ruth. During the time of the judges... Pretty, pretty amazing thing right there, folks. There is no book more amazing than this one right here. This is the Word of God. And if this did anything, hopefully it just keeps you reading and, and wanting to get more from it. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for this wonderful story. Thank you for the beautiful picture 
of what you did for us on salvation. And Lord, I pray that we will never get over our gratefulness. I pray we will always have the attitude of Ruth and just an attitude of gratefulness, uh, an attitude of unworthiness. I pray we will never uh, get to a point where we've been saved so long and blessed so much that we have a self-righteous attitude as though we've uh, done something to deserve your goodness, but we'll just remain uh, thankful. And I pray, Lord, that you'll uh, continue doing great things for us. In your name we pray. Amen.